And today we're going to continue. If you'd like to pull out your bulletin, please. If you didn't grab a bulletin, go grab one real quick because you're going to want to follow along. On the inside of the bulletin, there's a little outline to help you follow along this message. This is the fourth week in our series, our Christmas series, Hope of All Nations. And today's message is titled, Christmas is Hope. Christmas is hope. Come on, tell your neighbor, Christmas is hope. Christmas is a lot of things, but the first thing it is, is it's hope. And Christmas produces this sense of hope. Even people that don't necessarily know the real meaning of Christmas, just the whole Christmas spirit is a hopeful one, right? Christmas is hope because hope came to earth. Because the embodiment of hope came into the world. And I want to go back to Matthew chapter 12 this morning. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what we experienced in Cuba further on in the message. But I want to just go to Matthew 12 and read first, uh, verses 15 to 21. Again, this has kind of been our, our theme, a passage for this series. The, the religious leaders and, and the people of Jerusalem and Israel, they were planning, to, they were planning and plotting to kill Jesus, right? It says in verse 15, but Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left that area and many people followed him and he healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. And this fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I'll put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He'll not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And come on, let's read this last verse together. And his name will be the hope of all nations. The name of Jesus is the hope of all nations. Now, again, what I was mentioning, what we experienced in Cuba. And let me tell you, not just Cuba. This is definitely the, most, the nation that I've been most impacted by to see the difference between those that have hope and those that do not. It's the nation that I have been to that has most impacted me to see the difference, such a distinct difference without even a word being spoken to see those that are following Jesus and know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus and those that do not. But I'm going to tell you, I've been all over the world. I've been a missionary since the age of 16. I've traveled as a missionary and I've traveled on vacation too to a lot of different parts of the world. I was thinking about it. I've been, obviously, to North America, so United States, and all over Mexico. I lived in Mexico for eight years. I've been to Central America. I've been to South America. I've been to several islands in the Caribbean. I've been to Westernized Europe, and I've been to former Soviet Union Eastern Europe on a mission, uh, doing mission work. I've been to Asia on a mission trip and I went to Australia, not on a mission trip. <laughs> but let me tell you, places, all these different places, some of them where the gospel is prevalent and there's freedom to worship and there's freedom to preach Jesus. And other places that are restricted and the church and the believers, they have to be underground and everything has, has restrictions placed on it. Uh, uh, where the gospel in some places is, is like, like the United States. I mean, church, church is like a mall, especially in metro Atlanta. 
We have them all of churches. You got every, every single type of church that you could imagine. And you just can go and choose the one that best fits you and where you feel the most comfortable and connected. I hate to say, but that is not necessarily a good thing. Last time I checked, Jesus didn't come to make us feel comfortable and connected. I'm not downing American church. I love the American church. I pastor an American church. Hello. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But there are places in the world like here where the gospel is so prevalent. I mean, like almost everybody knows the story of Jesus. And many believe it and many reject it. We got churches about on every corner. In fact, one, two, three, four, five. There's five churches at least Six, just in like a one mile radius of right here. Come on, can, I, can, can, we, can we agree? The gospel is prevalent. I mean, it's, it, there's freedom. But there are places in the world where the gospel is not prevalent, where the gospel is scarce. In this place that we went, Cuba, where many of them had never even heard the Christmas story. And they got to hear it for the first time. I can tell you that there is a reality that prevails both in free, gospel-covered church uh, places, and the, and, and the exactly, exactly the same reality prevails in these nations that the gospel isn't there. And this is the reality. There really is only one hope that endures, and it is Jesus. Everything else disappoints. Every society places their hope in something or somebody. Whether it's a political leader, a government system, money, possessions, whatever. Every society, every culture, every nation, every soul places their hope in something or someone. And everything eventually disappoints except Jesus. He really is. The name of Jesus really, really is the hope of all nations, a hope that endures, a hope that even when everything is shaking, doesn't shake. Even when everything else crumbles, stand strong. The name of Jesus is my hope, and I hope that he is your hope, and he is the hope of all nations. Real hope is only found in Jesus, and that is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is because hope came Christmas is hope now just to help us follow along I'm going to describe the hope of Christmas which could be described in there, there are not enough words to describe the hope of Christmas but I'm going to give you three words and they all start with F just so that we can remember them well okay the hope of Christmas I summarize it today in three words if you want to look in your bulletin Let's go. The first thing that is the hope of Christmas is forgiveness. Number two is freedom. And number three is felicidad. And some of you are like, say what? <laughs> I'll help you out with that one in just a minute. But if you want to go ahead and fill them out real quick so you can follow along. Freedom. Sorry, forgiveness, freedom, and felicidad. Anybody know what felicidad is? Feliz Navidad, right? Number one, 
Forgiveness. The hope of Christmas is forgiveness. Why? Because the hope of Christmas is that Jesus came to provide forgiveness that we could have never provided for ourselves. This thing is, our sin, your sin, my sin, our rebellion offended Almighty God and separated us from his love, his life, his presence, his blessing, everything that we were created for. Did you know you were created by God and for God? That's the reason you exist, because God is love and he created you to love you. But our sin and our rebellion separated us from that love and from that life that he created us to have. But he is a loving and forgiving God. Is anybody happy about that today? I don't know about you, but the hope of Christmas to me is, first of all, that I don't deserve forgiveness, but he is forgiving anyway. God is a forgiving God. It is his nature. And Christmas is the fact that forgiveness came. Forgiveness was offered, and it is offered to each and every one of us today. I love the reality when you read in the word of God that God's plan to forgive us was even before time began. He planned to forgive us before we needed forgiven. Because that's what he's like. That's who he is. He's a forgiving God. Even before time began, he planned to forgive us and redeem us by sending Jesus. And I would like to say that a little bit different. He planned to forgive us and redeem us by coming as Jesus. Remember who Jesus really is. He is not just the son of man, but he is the son of God. He's God himself in a human body. He came to offer forgiveness himself. In fact, the name Jesus, come on, why don't you just say his name? You know what it means? Jesus, Yeshua, it means savior. Literally, the name Jesus means savior. The name of Jesus itself implies forgiveness. That's who he is. It's no coincidence that God told the angel to tell Mary and Joseph to name him Jesus. Because his very name offers forgiveness. And it started before the world began. I'm just going to read Matthew 121 because this is where the angel tells her. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. His name means savior. His name implies Forgiveness. Forgiveness was planned before the world even began. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. For you know, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Now look at this. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Even before the world began, he planned to forgive us. And save us because this really truly is, and again, I can vouch, not only for myself, not only for my family, where I grew up, my nation, but having gone to five continents, different cultures where the gospel is, woo, and where the gospel is, this is reality. 
Are you ready? Guilty. Come on, turn to your neighbor. I know we don't like to do this in church. We don't normally do this in church, but just point your finger and say, guilty. (laughs) Humanity's reality. Humanity's reality, rather, you've heard the gospel and the word of God since you were a little baby, or you've never heard it in your life. I've seen it in every type of reality. Everybody knows they're guilty. We're guilty. Because the Bible says so clearly, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even people who've never heard of the true God, who've never heard the word of God, who don't know the law of God, the Bible says that our conscience convicts us and condemns us. We're guilty. Guilty sinners. And without forgiveness... Some of you can identify very much with what, what, what I'm saying. Without knowing forgiveness, we carry an unbearable burden. And we carry it around everywhere we go. And this is what I saw walking the streets in Cuba. They're carrying this terrible, unbearable burden. And this is what guilt does to us. Guilt wears our soul out. You ever done something and you haven't experienced forgiveness yet? Are you, and, and, and maybe because you haven't repented yet and asked forgiveness and you're carrying it around. Or even, look, you've done something and you've hurt somebody else and, 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 and that hasn't been resolved yet. And you just carry it around. And it's like this burden that you cannot bear. And the more you carry it around, that heavy, heavy burden, it just weighs down soul and literally it weighs us down unto death how many stories have i heard of people who have committed suicide because of guilt they just couldn't bear the burden of their guilt and see forgiveness releases us from that burden guilt produces a heavy burden that weighs us down But forgiveness releases us from that burden and produces an indescribable sense of joy. We'll talk more about joy here in just a minute, but look what Psalm 32, 1 through 2 says. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. And the word there is pardon. Come on, say pardon. See, pardon doesn't mean you weren't guilty, so you're forgiven, right? Like when you, you didn't do something, but they thought you did something, and so you, they call you guilty, but you really didn't do it, and then it come to find out you really didn't do it, so you're forgiven. That's not pardon. That's different. We're, we're pardoned, which means we are guilty, but our guilt is removed. And that's what it says here. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is pardoned. It would be like someone on death row deserving the punishment for murder or whatever. And then all of a sudden somebody coming and saying, you did it and you deserve it, but you're out. You're free. Pardon. What joy for those who have been forgiven. I don't know about you, but today I just woke up with this sense of joy. I don't know if it's because it's the Christmas season or whatever, but I just woke up like, my God, I don't carry a burden of guilt. I don't carry that burden. 
My heart breaks for those that do. My heart breaks for you today. If you're living your life carrying around the burden of guilt for your sin, you can be forgiven and know this joy that Psalms talks about. It's an unspeakable joy, but it's not only forgiveness, y'all. It gets even better. The hope of Christmas is forgiveness, but the hope of Christmas is freedom. We're not just for, come on, bear with me. We're not just forgiven of sin. We're made free from sin. We're not just forgiven of sin so we can keep on living in sin and that we let a burden down of guilt and then we just put another burden of guilt back on us and keep on going. No, 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 no. Jesus did not come and give his life and shed his blood on the cross just to forgive us. He came to forgive us and pardon us and get rid of it so that he could free us from the power of sin. There are a lot of Christians who claim to be forgiven yet continue to live the same life and they're bound to sin under the yoke, under the burden, under the chains of sin. And because maybe they don't know that they don't, you, you don't just get forgiveness when you get Jesus, you get freedom. Lots of Jesus' ministry was deliverance. If you read through the Gospels, a lot of what Jesus did was going around setting people free, right? Acts 10.38, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to heal you from the oppression of the devil. You're saying, I, I could be oppressed by the devil? Absolutely. I've been oppressed by the devil. And some of you know what that's like. And some of you are like, oh, that's what I've been under. When we live a lifestyle of sin, the door is wide open. When we practice sin, the Bible says we become slaves of sin. The door is wide open for the most horrible slave master to come and enslave you with sin. And Jesus went around, and one of the main things he did was he went around setting people free from the devil. In fact, 1 John 4, 8 said, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. He came not just to provide forgiveness of sin, but to destroy the work of the devil. And the work of the devil is through sin. The work of the devil in the life of a human being is through sin. When we sin, we allow the devil to be our master. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And then John 8, 31 and 32 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, come on, somebody. He, uh, 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 that first phrase is important. He was talking to people that already believed in him. It says, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Obedience, right? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you're really free. Or you're free indeed, right? Not just fake free. Not, come on somebody, not just religious free. I'm in church and I'm free. Ooh, how you doing? I'm great and blessed and free. And then you go home and you're not free. That's not free indeed. That's free. Not indeed. <laughs> Help me out. Too much Spanish for a week. Okay. 
if the son, if Jesus sets you free, you're really, truly free. It's not a religious theory. You can live a life of freedom over sin. You can live a life free from the works of the devil. The power of Jesus can set you free and destroy the works of the devil in your life and give you a life of victory and freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the gospel is freedom. See, this is how it works. Are y'all ready? Satan lies. Just what he does. Satan lies. In fact, the Bible says when he lies, it's consistent with his character because he's a liar. Come on, somebody say, the devil is a liar, right? That's just not just some silly Pentecostal phrase. The devil truly is a liar. It's what he is. It's what he does. Everything he does is lie. The, the way he got Eve and Adam to sin was by lying to them. And sometimes his lies don't look like lies. Sometimes his lies are disguised as the truth. In fact, that's the best way to lie, right? When it seems true. And so the devil, Satan, he lies to us and deceives us. And then through that, he binds us up into sin. But Jesus does the opposite. You ready? Jesus comes and he reveals the truth. And that truth liberates us through the power of the cross and the Holy Spirit. Jesus brings freedom. Yes, by his anointing, he sets us free by his power. If you are bound by the devil today, if you're struggling with some sort of addiction or sin, sinful practice in your life, if you're living under depression and oppression of the enemy today, the power of Jesus can touch you. Boom, one encounter can set you free. But also, as you get to know him and follow him, he describes that as being a real disciple. And what do real disciples get to know? The truth. Come on, sometime later in the, in, in the Gospels, he's telling all these stories and parables, and the disciples are like, Jesus, why do you tell stories to everybody? And, 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 and to us, you, tell it, you just say it plainly. And he said, to you has been given the privilege of the secrets. Why? Because of who they were. He didn't love them more, but they had followed him. <laughs> and see, not everybody can know the truth. There are people that blast this like a, the truth shall set you free. And they don't have any clue what they're talking about. It's not the truth about the government. It's not the truth about money. It's not the truth about good relationships. It's the truth that is the truth, God's truth. And there's no way to know his truth unless we're in relationship with him who is the truth. But as we know him and we obey him and we follow him, we get to experience real, true freedom. He leads us into all truth and that truth sets us free. Now, finally, Jesus came to bring forgiveness, and he came to set us free with his power and then to lead us into total freedom by his truth, right? And that produces felicidad. Everybody say felicidad. felicidad. That was pretty good. You can all go to Cuba with us and just do great. Come on, say felicidad. felicidad. 
Does anybody know what that means? I had to do it with an F, so I had to do it in Spanish, okay? What is felicidad? It's it, joy, right? Joy, happiness. And the hope of Christmas is that Jesus came to release true joy. Not just happiness, right? Because happiness comes and goes. Come on, somebody, right? You, you, you can wake up one day happy, and you can wake up the next day and... It's all dependent on circumstances. Do you feel happy today? Rather you do or don't feel happy today, you can have joy. Jesus came to release true joy. And maybe we just, if you want to flash it back up on the screen, Psalm 32, I read it a few minutes ago. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but I just want to bring it back to this. What joy for those who have been forgiven. I mean, I don't know about you, but some days are good and some days aren't so good. We've been through some great things and through some really tough things this year as a family. Some days I wake up feeling happy and some days I wake up searching for happiness, right? But there is one thing that I have experienced and can't nobody take it away ever. And that is this, I was going to hell lost, broken, hopeless, in my sin, separated from God, and now I'm not. The burden of sin has been lifted. That doesn't mean there's not a struggle. That doesn't mean sometimes circumstances aren't the greatest. But there is one thing that remains, and it remains every single day, all the time, through the thick and thin, through the good and the bad. I have joy on the inside, even when I'm not happy on the outside. I have joy on the inside because I am forgiven. What joy? It produces immense joy. See, one more time, I'm just going to go back to Cuba. There was, I, I had been told this, but this time I saw it. I remember the first time going to Cuba, we were only there for like a day and a half or two days. And literally, we just went to get to know the pastor and figure out and come back. We didn't really get to experience a lot. But I remember from that trip, he told me, in Cuba, joy is a Christian thing. I mean, he, he told me that. And I'm like, oh, it's like there's, there's a difference. You'll know there's a difference. Christians are happy. And everybody else is not. And in reality, we saw this this time. Joy really, truly was only found in the church. I mean, even in the nice tourist restaurants where Cubans can't really go, it's only for tourists who brought their money. You go in. Why? They're carrying the burden of sin and guilt and hopelessness and haven't had even the chance to hear about forgiveness and freedom. You literally turn the corner, walk through those little gates in that church, and it's a party. Why? Because they have hope. Hope produces joy. Um, and I just want to be clear, this isn't this isn't just about, I know we talked a lot about Cuba Day because we went to Cuba last week. 
This isn't just a reality in poor, oppressed societies. Look around you every day and you will see this very same reality. It's just covered up by a bunch of money and possessions. It's just covered up by a bunch of half therapy. It's just covered up by a bunch of busy activity. But people live their life every day with no joy. They may be going through a great time and great circumstances so they feel happy. And then everything goes south. And they lose it all. Because there's no real joy. Joy is only for those who found the hope of Jesus. True joy can only be found in a relationship with God. In fact, 1 Peter 1.8 says, You love him even though you've never seen him. Anybody say that today? We've ne I've never physically seen him. Oh, boy, but I have I experienced him in real and tangible ways. But I've never seen him. But one thing I can tell you, I sure do love him. I love him. I love him with everything in me. I hope you love him. And it says, though you do not see him now, you trust him and rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Joy that can't even be put in words. It's why I feel today like I'm normally, I feel a little more eloquent than I feel today. I'm having a hard time even putting words to what I'm trying to say. This joy is inexpressible. And you can know it. And you may be sitting there today and you're like, I don't have that. You can have it today. You can have forgiveness. You can have freedom. And you can have felicidad. You can have joy. Real joy. Because listen, happiness, again, I'm just going to close with this. Happiness is temporary. Because it depends on outward circumstances. But joy can be abiding. It can be permanent. I'm not saying things won't try to steal your joy. But it can stay. It can abide because of a relationship with God but listen a relationship with God transcends every circumstance we go through so joy can transcend every circumstance we live through our joy can endure because his love endures forever from generation to generation morning after morning after morning his loving kindness, his mercy. It just goes on and on and on. And when I'm doing good, his love goes on and on. And when I'm not doing good, his love goes on and on. When I'm walking in great obedience to him, his love goes on and on. And when I screw up, his love goes on and on and on. So I have a joy that goes on and on. If you wouldn't mind, maybe if everyone would just close your eyes for a moment because...